0: Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Graymere Church of Christ sermon podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at graymere.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Graymere Church of Christ. The reading this morning is taken from the book of 1 uh, Peter 4 starting reading from one. The Bible reads, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin too. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desire, but rather for the will of God. When it comes time to make a decision, what strategies do we use? If we're going to make a choice, what are the things that we do, the habits that we get into, the questions that we ask? Decision-making can be really challenging, and there are a lot of things that go into it, especially if we're thinking about a major choice, a major decision in life. But I think we all also struggle with a tendency, a tendency to think if I'm going to make this choice, I wonder what everybody else around me will think. Uh, There's an old story, really it's an old fable that you may have heard that's been passed down over the generations that illustrates the challenge that we have when we're dealing with decisions and listening to the voices of others it's a story about an older man taking a younger boy with him on a journey and they had a donkey that they were taking on this long journey and so as they pass through one village the older man is uh, leading the donkey with the boy uh, walking behind and people started whispering and they said it was foolish for both of them to be walking when they had a perfectly good animal right there that uh, the, the boy should be riding and so as they were thinking about what people were saying he put the boy on the animal and continued to walk then they walked through another village and then they could hear the people whispering just how rude and lazy it was for this young boy to be on this donkey while this old man he's making him walk and so they heard that and they switched places they walked through into another village and they said can you believe how insensitive this older man is that he's making this this young boy just walk behind him you know surely there's room enough for both of them and so they both got on the donkey and started walking through then they made it to the next village and people started whispering about how cruel it was to this poor little donkey that two people are riding him and don't they even care about this animal and so the last that the older man was seen he was carrying the donkey into the next village uh, because it's hard if you keep making adjustments based on what everybody else is saying. Ultimately, it's going to be hard to please everybody. It's difficult, especially in the world we live in today, where we have more access to more people's thoughts and opinions than we've ever had before. Sometimes it's hard for us to make choices. And, and we can follow fall in a couple of different categories here. We can allow ourselves to be paralyzed by decision. Have you ever felt like you were doing things just because the expectations of other people? That you were carrying something around just because people expected you to do it? And so sometimes we can become so paralyzed that I don't want to make any choice unless I know what everybody else is going to think or what everybody else is going to do around me. Do they agree with this? Do they think this is right? And it's hard for us to make any decisions sometimes we might fall into the opposite category where we just want to choose the opposite of what other people think we don't we don't want to be like someone else so I'm going to do the opposite of what these people do either way we're allowing the opinions of those around us to determine how we make our choices and in the passage that Mapalo just read for us at the beginning of first Peter chapter 4 we see a different way of determining our lives We've been going through a study of First Peter thinking about what it means to be aliens and strangers. Uh, what does it mean to live in a place that is not our ultimate home? Uh, and that's the case because there were Christians that were scattered in all these different places that Peter's writing to. And they've got different cultures around them and different pressures. And if they were to take a poll as to how they should live, they'd get a very different answer than what we read in the gospel. And when we get to 1 Peter chapter 4, we've been spending time thinking about the identity of Christians and uh, Peter's continually reminding them of who they are and what they've decided to do. And in chapter 4, we get a straightforward plan that is a reminder of here's how you live when your life is determined not by what others think, but by the gospel. It's so easy to choose what's immediate around us rather than what's transcendent in God's Word to shape our lives around. In the book of Revelation, there's one of the churches that is maybe the most well-known of the seven churches that are addressed. In chapters 2 and 3, there are these uh, letters that Christ sends to different churches. And in chapter 3, we read about Laodicea. And we often think about Laodicea. They're the ones that were lukewarm and you have that imagery of because they're lukewarm being, being spewed out, being spit out uh, of his mouth as Christ gives this letter. It's interesting to try to imagine what that indicated. Now archaeologists have discovered that nearby in Hierapolis there were some hot springs and that in Colossae there would have been some cold springs so maybe this is a reference to the fact that they're neither hot or cold, it doesn't reflect the sources of water from these other places and even if that's the case it seems that the problem that Christ has when he's saying you're neither hot or cold is that what Laodicea was doing in their service to God was being complacent was being lazy, inactive, We're just reflecting the world around them hot water can warm us up on a really cold morning cold water can quench our thirst on a hot afternoon but lukewarm or tepid water doesn't have the, the purpose that it serves if it's hot or if it's cold. It has to be different than the environment for it to be effective. And if it's just room temperature, if it's just reflecting what's going on around it, it's not good use medicinally like the hot springs would have been. It's not refreshing like the cold springs. It's just lukewarm. That's what happens when I start letting everything around me determine how I live. And so when we think about the gospel and the good news, and we often think about it as the gospel of life, giving us life. Uh, We're going through the book of John in our Wednesday morning men's class, and one of the themes of that gospel is life, that we will have life. But it's not only that we have eternal life in the gospel, it's also that the gospel informs how we live this life when I read God's Word I get information on how I'm making my choices now how I'm living now what it means to live by the gospel And so for a few minutes this morning I'd like for us to look at these very practical words in first Peter chapter 4 and think about what it means to allow the gospel to determine my life we've already read these first two verses I'd like for us to notice something in verse 1 since Christ has suffered in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Your translation may say the same attitude. But arm yourself. He's using military language here. Uh, We are familiar with the armor of God in Ephesians, the sword of the spirit, uh, the belt of truth, all those elements of armor. Here he's using military language to say you need to arm yourself, but what you're arming yourself with is the purpose of Christ, What is it that gospel living looks like? Gospel living looks like having Christ's purpose as my weapon, as my armor against the world that I'm living in. When I'm inundated with all these different options of how to live, I have Christ's purpose. That determines in verse 2 that I don't live the rest of my time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And so if I'm making a decision, if I'm thinking what I'm going to do, how am I going to survive, I need to reflect on the purpose of Christ. And that's especially important because we've already seen there's some suffering that's going on with these Christians. We don't know the details. Maybe it's better that we don't know the details. It's almost like we can put our own selves in their place and imagine what we're dealing with. But they're suffering, they're struggling, and they needed to be reminded of Christ's purpose. It's amazing what we can endure and what we can deal with when we've put it in the context of a larger purpose, when we know we're doing it for something, when we know there's a reason behind it, there's an aim behind it, there's a goal behind it, we've got something that's going to be accomplished. It's amazing what we can allow ourselves to endure if we know there's something bigger involved. A mentor once told me that when it comes to ministry, that ministry drains our energy. Service can drain our energy. But vision or purpose renews our energy. In other words, one of the things to do when I'm getting tired and frustrated and not sure what to do next is to take some time and be reminded of what my purpose is. What's my vision? What am I trying to accomplish What does this look like for me when I think about decisions that are made in my family am I making my choices in light of a larger purpose am I willing to put my decisions in context of a larger values in my personal life have I thought about why I'm making the choices that I make why I'm acting the way that I do or I have those expectations am I living in a way that's consistent with my values if i'm not maybe i need to reflect on my purpose and it's interesting to see what a result of that purpose is uh, because as he says in verse one if you've suffered in the flesh uh, you have ceased from sin we might take a step back and say well wait a minute if if we're christians uh, i don't know about you but I, I i wish i could say that i've lived a perfect life since becoming a christian but that wouldn't be accurate We're all struggling with sin. So what does he mean by if we're suffering in the flesh, we've ceased from sin? I like the way the New Living Translation words it. For if you are willing to suffer for Christ, you have decided to stop sinning. What Peter's addressing here is a lifestyle context. And he's saying if you're willing to suffer for changing your actions and for changing what you're doing, then sinning is no longer your goal. Fulfilling these desires is no longer your goal. I don't think Peter is telling us that when we become Christians, we never sin again. That wouldn't be consistent with what we see in other places in Scripture and what we know to be true in our lives. But he is saying, if I'm, if I'm telling myself, you know, I'm willing to suffer, I'm ready to suffer, I'm also making a choice. I'm not going after sin. That's not the lifestyle I'm pursuing. Gospel living looks like Christ's purpose and not my own. And so as we reflect on that, let's keep looking at verse 3. As he says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same, into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who were dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit, according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. What does Christian living look like when I'm choosing Christ's purpose? It looks like new desires. It looks like wanting things that are different than the things I wanted before I became Christians. He specifically refers to the desire of the Gentiles. There are times in the text of the New Testament when Gentiles refers to just a, a large category of anyone who isn't a, a Jew, isn't one, who isn't a, one of God's... Uh, chosen people in the Old Testament. Everyone else would be considered Gentiles. But here the way that uh, Peter's using it is specifically about sort of the pagan desires. The desires that are opposed to the will of God. He says before you became Christians, you had plenty of time to carry out those desires. And the list he gives that we read about sensuality and lust and drunkenness, these are the kinds of things... That in our culture today are, are not just uh, excused. They wouldn't be considered a list of sins. Sometimes they'd be prized. Sometimes they'd be part of, this is part of someone's personality. This is part of someone's identity. This is who they are. And Peter's saying, when I've chosen Christ's purpose, now I'm cultivating new desires. I don't think that would have been easy, at least not for everyone who'd become a Christian. I can imagine Christians that Peter's writing to struggling with the way they used to live and the things they used to like to do and to want to do. It's a human struggle. But part of serving God and living by the gospel is not celebrating those desires, but cultivating different desires. This is especially true today when it's often said, and maybe it seems even like common sense to us, that we are, uh, our identity is determined. By desires that we have by fulfilling our inner desires that we don't look outside to decide who we are we look inside internally and peter's reminding us that our identity begins with christ's purpose once i have christ's purpose then all of a sudden my desires can start to change and he also said they shouldn't be surprised when the people they used to run with and that did the things they used to do aren't happy when they start to change Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've had some of those conversations with people who were upset because you used to do certain things and go certain places and talk to them about certain things and you don't do that anymore. And Peter's saying, don't be surprised when that happens. Because when you make a change, when you have those new desires, you're going to see that friction. You're going to see that difference. Verse 6 gives us another one of those Uh, Verses that's interesting to reflect on when we look through uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Well, in the last chapter, we were looking at the reference to spirits in prison. Here, what do we do with this idea of preaching the gospel to those who are dead? Well, I think the, the best way for us to understand that is try to put it in context with what else we know about Scripture. Uh, while Jesus doesn't give us all the details about life after death, we do get a glimpse when He describes the rich man and Lazarus in the fact that once the rich man has died and Lazarus has died, they're both in a, a fixed position. Lazarus is in what's described as the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man is in torment because of the way that he lived his life. And so as he calls out, Jesus describes a great chasm that's there. That you can't cross back and forth. And so it seems to me the best way to understand this reference here is he's describing the fact that the gospel has been preached. By this point in the history of the church, the gospel had already been preached to people who had accepted, obeyed the gospel, And had died. So, if we think about the gospel preached to those who are now dead, judged in the flesh, but they're living in the Spirit according to the will of God, it's a reminder for us that even those who have passed on before us, those who obeyed the gospel, have a hope based on the new life that they're living by the Spirit that provides that eternal life. Not only do we live differently, but we also, in Peter, start thinking clearly. Uh, He describes the fact that we should think a certain way because in verse 7 the end of all things is near Now this was written a long time ago And so we might start to think well wait a minute if peter thought the end of all things were near And that was written a long time ago. What does that mean? Is he mistaken about what was happening? Uh, There are several places in the new testament where we get the understanding that the christians who were living in the first century likely expected the return of Jesus to happen within their lifetime. Uh, James 5 is another one of those places. The Lord's uh, coming is near. Just the sort of idea, uh, right, that you've got, uh, we need to live in anticipation of the return of the Lord. In a sense, where we've been living in the last days since then. The phrase the last days just means that since the ascension of Jesus the next time he comes will be the return so all of those days are the last days and how do we think if we're living as if the return could be imminent how do we change our decision making how do we think differently how do we spend time in prayer differently when we're anticipating the return it's not a bad way to look at life to live that way so if I'm armed with Christ's purpose, if that's my weapon, if that's, if that's how I'm going to deal with challenges in life, and I'm cultivating new desires, different desires, I'm going to live differently, I'm going to think differently, what comes next? Notice what he says in verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it, and serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What does gospel living look like? It looks like fervent love not just love in the sense that we might use it today uh, maybe even in passing this is fervent this is intense love that changes the way that we live and we see here the idea that love covers a multitude of sins maybe you've heard that expression before i don't know sometimes we hear expressions and we don't stop to think about exactly what they mean What does it mean that love covers a multitude of sins? Uh, It doesn't mean that as long as we're loving, sin doesn't matter. Or as long as I'm a loving person, my sin doesn't make a big difference. Or or my sin doesn't really make an impact. Uh, It's an illustration of love's power. Here are some passages that help us flesh this out a little bit. Proverbs 10, verse 12, would remind us that hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all transgressions. Hatred stirs things up, but love can help calm things down. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he would describe love as not acting unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong that's suffered. It doesn't take wrong into account. When we love others, we're seeking what's best for them. Instead of stirring up a situation, we're seeking to calm it down. And then if I'm teaching someone the truth because of my love for that person, that can also keep them from sin. So James would say, "...brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." So what does love do? Fervent love doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't say, well, as long as I'm a loving person, maybe sin's not that big a deal. Fervent love says, I care about you too much to let this continue without addressing it. I care about you so much that I want to do something, say something, be the kind of person you need to keep you from walking down this path. It can cover a multitude of sins because instead of, trying to keep track of all the things someone's done to me and stir something up. I'm trying to find a way to encourage this person, to keep them from sinning. That fervent love not only helps others around us, but also it reminds us of the gifts that we've been given. So he describes in verse 10 how everyone who's given a gift should employ it, serving one another as good stewards, as the manifold grace of God. I'm not just serving someone on my own behalf. I'm reminded of the one I'm serving and who that represents. And so he gives some specific examples. What about the one who speaks? He who speaks, in verse 11, speaks as one who is speaking the very words, utterances of God, the oracles of God. When we stand up and when we share God's word, we're speaking with an authority that's not ours, but that's God's. When Jesus was preaching, what stood uh, apart about Jesus' teaching is that He spoke as one with authority. He taught as one with authority. When we stand up, if I were to stand up here, any of us that are teaching, that are preaching, if we stand up, we're speaking not with our authority, but with God's authority. And that's why it's a humbling thing to stand up and say, yeah, I'm going to be teaching. I'm, I'm going to be preaching from God's Word. It's a reminder of how much time we have to spend in prayer and in thought and in consideration to make sure that what we're saying is true. I also think it's an important reason for us to be careful about our language. Be careful about things that we attribute to God or that we attribute to God's Word to make sure before I really say, oh, you know, the Bible says this or I'm doing this because God wants this to happen. I need to make sure, am I really saying that because it's based on what Scripture says, or am I leaning on my own opinions or preferences? It matters what I say. Fervent love fervently wants to communicate God's Word with accuracy. But then serving, we serve by the strength that God supplies, and we give Him all the glory in whatever's accomplished. When we work for the Lord, there's a lot that we have to be excited about. There's a lot in this congregation we have to be excited about. And this church family, I love the opportunities I have when I'm talking to people in Colombia and they ask about Graymere. A lot of times they have a specific ministry or a specific aspect of the work here in mind. You know, it it might be a family who had children that uh, went to Tuesday Thursday school, sometimes even years ago and they still remember their teachers. They still remember that positive impact Maybe it's someone who knows about the clothes closet and who knows how many people have been helped by that. Maybe it's someone who's talking about ITC or someone who's talking about Giveaway Day 10 years ago and what they remember about that ministry event. There are all kinds of ways that this congregation has served and continues to serve people. And sometimes it's easy for us when we think about that service to sort of take that in and say, well, I'm glad glad someone noticed what we're doing. I'm glad someone's noticed the work and the effort we're putting in. Peter reminds us that when we serve, we're serving because of the strength Christ gives us. When I serve, I'm giving the glory to Him because He's the one who's provided me with this opportunity. He's the one who's allowed this to happen. Fervent love. Intense love that changes the decisions I make and can impact the lives of people around me. But when it comes to making choices... When it comes to putting all the options on the table and trying to decide, what am I going to do? What am I going to do if it's a major life decision? What big choice am I going to make? Big decision that's got to be made? Or maybe it's just something little. Maybe it's just a decision that's going to happen in a week or in a month. Am I thinking about what everyone around me is going to think? If I do, that's going to be a recipe for frustration. Because as we look at Jesus' life, Jesus lived without sin, and yet people were still unhappy with him. If Jesus, living without sin, couldn't keep everyone happy, I'm probably not going to be able to pacify everyone that's around me. But if I decide I'm going to make my decisions based on gospel living, I'm going to say, what is Christ's purpose? If it's a choice for my family, if that's the first thing, what is Christ's purpose in my life? Is this going to help me accomplish that? When I think about Christ's purpose, maybe I want to reflect on, okay, if, if I'm living by His purpose, does that give me new desires? Am I going to do things differently now? Am, am I going to see the world differently than I used to see it? And then because I'm seeing things differently, because I have new desires, am I fervent in my love for other people? These 11 verses in First Peter 4 remind us that when we have the gospel that gives us life, It's life-giving, eternal life-giving, but it's also guiding our lives. It's guiding our lives here and now. We can't talk about decisions without thinking of the greatest decision that anyone could ever make. And so it may be this morning that a decision that needs to be made a reality in your life is to become a child of God. Uh, Scripture that reminds us of the life-giving gospel, tells us that that life comes when I decide I'm going to turn my life around, confess Jesus as Lord, put Christ on in baptism. And in doing that, in in obeying Him, I'm deciding I'm going to live based on His purpose. United in His death, burial, and resurrection, I'm now going to be united with Him in purpose. And if you're ready to make that decision this morning, we'd love to celebrate that with you and for you. It may be that You're interested in learning more and you just want to start a Bible study. This is a great time to to respond with that as well. We'd love to get that process started. It may be that you could use prayers and encouragement. Right after our worship here, right out this doorway, a couple of our shepherds would love to sit down and talk with you, pray with you privately, or we can all pray together with you and for you. One of the good things we can remember when it comes time to make challenging, difficult choices, or if it's just everyday decisions that we make, We don't have to make them alone because God is with us and his invitation is open to us. If we can help you in any way, please come and let us know as we stand and as we sing together.